Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. It is 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson on Atlanta's Evening News. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Rain throughout the area. Radar is a mess. Uh, If it's not raining where you are, it probably will be soon. Uh, That's my summation of what I see on radar. It's just a big blob. Nancy Pelosi, is she going to have a job at the end of the week? Well, the week is one day, end of the week is tomorrow, so she probably still will, but end of next week, not sure. Apparently, 12 Democrats have met this afternoon behind closed doors to begin plotting getting rid of Nancy Pelosi because of the fallout over John Ossoff's election. We'll get into that. I have details uh, that I'll give you, but I think the bigger story right now is that the um, the Republicans have unveiled their health care plan. They, well, you know, it doesn't repeal Obamacare. And in not repealing Obamacare, they're trying to do as much as they can to make it seem like they're repealing Obamacare. Yeah, Jonathan Gruber, one of the architects of uh, the Affordable Care Act on CNN this morning, saying that the uh, the plan by Republicans in the Senate really doesn't repeal uh, Obamacare. What it does do, and this is problematic from a, a debt and deficit standpoint, is it repeals the taxes that paid for the stuff people like. So the things people don't like, they're getting rid of. The things people like, they're keeping. So the pre-existing, um, the pre-existing conditions, they're keeping. Allowing slackers who are 25 years old living in their parents' basement to stay on their parents' insurance, they're keeping. Uh, you name it, all the stuff you like, they're keeping. They are defunding Planned Parenthood for one year. And they are getting rid of uh, individual mandate, things like that. Um, But it doesn't significantly change it. Now, even though it doesn't significantly change it, uh, there were immediately upon release of the plan protests on Capitol Hill. And they were orchestrated AstroTurf protests. Uh, The Democrats want you to believe they were sincere, but they weren't. Now, here's the thing. Barack Obama has come out this afternoon to denounce uh, the health care bill. What's so funny about this is it's typical Barack Obama. He starts out, our politics are divided. Uh, They've been that way for a long time. Yeah, whatever. And, And 
While I know the division makes it difficult to listen to Americans with whom we disagree, that's what we need to do today. And then he says the Senate bill is not a health care bill. It's a massive transfer of wealth from middle class families and poor families to the richest people in America. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to have it both ways. He, he, our politics is so divided. We need to listen to each other. And this Senate bill is going to kill people, essentially. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a guy. What a guy. Oh, so listen, this isn't a popular plan, even among conservatives on Capitol Hill. In fact, um, a, a little birdie told me they're going to get a little bit of protest from some of the conservatives. Ron Johnson, uh, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, they've come out rather loudly that they they need to have changes. Um, I, I'm told that there are four big concerns from conservatives in the Senate. By the way, three Republicans have already come out and said they'll vote against it no matter what. One of them, Lisa Murkowski, because of the Planned Parenthood funding. Um, they can lose those three if they have the vice president break the tie. They can't lose anymore. Um, but here are the four conservative things. I, this is a, an, an email from a member of the Senate. It doesn't want to go public yet, uh, but will be soon. But there are four concerns uh, that some of these conservatives have. One is the Obamacare insurance mandates cost premiums to skyrocket to fix the problem. They think the legislation needs to add a provision that says any insurance company that offers at least one plan that meets the mandates can sell any other plans the consumer desires. So in other words, that you offer the plan that meets the provisions of the Obamacare light plan the Senate's offering, but then allow consumers to pick that or pick a different one. Uh, they also think that each state should have full flexibility to design creative ways to provide care for the vulnerable. So the flexibility, according to these conservatives, think it should be codified in statute and not dependent on waivers from Health and Human Services Secretary. That's actually one of the big issues and concerns a lot of conservatives have is the way they're trying to get around Obamacare without actually fully repealing Obamacare is they want to allow the Secretary of Health and Human Services to grant waivers. The problem with that is what happens when Tom Price goes away and, and a Democrat takes back the White House? Well, then the Democrats are going to retract the waiver. So you're going to do this this yo-yoing of policy for four years to eight years. You'll get a waiver. Then you won't get a waiver for 48 years. Then you will get a waiver for 48 years. They also think that, and I'll just read you this from, from the email from the senator, um, that they believe that they need to have some market-based reforms in this legislation allowing consumers to purchase insurance across state lines, expanding association health care plans, allowing people to pay health insurance premiums from health savings accounts, and giving a bonus in federal Medicaid matching funds to states that enact caps on punitive damages in medical malpractice lawsuits. Uh, they also think, these senators think, uh, there needs to be a real agreement to rein in the long-term cost of Medicaid. You're going to hear a lot about the Senate Republicans want to kill Medicaid. In fact, the New York Times is running a story right now saying essentially that, that the Republicans intend to gut Medicaid. That's not actually true. Remember what um, what the Republicans or what Barack Obama did with Obamacare was they allowed states to expand Medicaid and enroll more people in Medicaid. Medicaid used to be a, pro uh, a program for the poorest of the poor, 
and they decided that they would expand it up the ante. Anybody could get on it. Well, the Republicans have decided they're going to roll that back. They're they're no longer going to allow it to be a catch-all for everyone. It's going to go back to being a program for the poor. And they're going to phase out people who are on it but qualify for other health insurance. So some people who could get health insurance through the private market for their employer, you name it, they will come off of Medicaid and it will be left for the deserving poor, the people who truly do need government assistance. And the way the media is covering this, the way the media is uh, trying to claim otherwise, they're, they're claiming that the people are going to die. They're claiming that people are going to be hurt. They're claiming that people are going to in some way be denied Medicaid. That's not true at all. I mean, you, you've got this uh, Audie McCullough. I don't know who Audie McCullough is. Audie McCullough has this piece up at the Washington Post. For me and my son, Medicaid cuts don't mean hard choices. They mean life or death. She's a single mother with a little boy with a serious condition. Now, I, I oh, she's a a member of Hoosier Action. Basically, it's a a Democratic lobbying group. So here's the thing: How does and I I mean no disrespect to Audie McCullough, but this is an example of what we're dealing with in this conversation. The Republican health care plan was released this afternoon. Until this afternoon, no one knew what was in it. So how can Audie McCullough have an op-ed in the New York area in the Washington Post today accusing the Republicans of denying her health benefits and her kids' health benefits when she never even read the plan and, in fact, it doesn't really do what she's claiming it does? That's what we're going to be dealing with now for the next couple of weeks. Hysteria in the media. The same media that's gotten all the facts wrong about the Russia investigation is going to get all these facts wrong, too. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here on WSB. Uh, I want to move on, but I can't help but comment one more time on the Democrats here. We have... A mass assassination. By the way, by the way, l- l- let me take a quick tangent here before I get to phone calls. L- quick tangent here. So do you know the FBI now says they can't determine the motive of, of James Hodgkinson? The FBI has now briefed members of Congress and said they're not sure why he had the names of six Republican members of Congress on him. No, I'm not making that. No, seriously, I'm not making that up. Uh, The FBI report to members of Congress is they don't believe it was terrorism and they think he was just a a man with anger issues and they don't believe he was surveying the field. Okay, so let me give you the evidence that the FBI presented to us. Okay, on April 12th, the New York Times reported that the Republicans practiced baseball at this baseball field. We know for certain Mr. Hodgkinson found, knew that and saw that article because it was among his possessions. Three days later, Mr. Hodgkinson surveys the baseball field and scopes it out. Now, fast forward to June, he shows up with a gun and begins gunning down members of Congress, trying to at least, with a list of the names of the conservative members of Congress who were publicly blamed in newspapers for wanting to completely repeal Obamacare. 
And the FBI is telling members of Congress they don't really know what his motives are. He was just an angry man. I, y'all, I am not kidding you on this. That is their report to Congress. Uh, I, I saw several friends of mine who were just, I thought, overly hysterical about what the FBI was doing, that surely it couldn't be what they said. No, no, it actually is exactly what they said they were doing. The FBI completely downplaying uh, Hodgkinson's motivations. By the way, there's a, a media survey out today that the the major news networks, particularly CNN and MSNBC and the nightly news networks, ABC, CBS, they spent way more time on the Gabriel Gifford shooting uh, than Hodgkinson's. Hodgkinson's shooting at Republican members of Congress was done within two days. Uh, the Gabby Giffords thing went on for more than a week. I told you that was going to happen. They're back to discussing Russia now, and there is news on the Russia front. And today you got Elizabeth Warren out there saying Republicans want to kill people. After last week, it just how irresponsible can she be? She doesn't care. The Democrats don't care about this stuff. So Jay Johnson, who was the Obama secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, has now definitively said there is not nor has there ever been evidence that the Russians actually hacked voting booths and changed votes because that has been one of the primary accusations made by Democrats. It goes beyond uh, Russian interference. It is Democrats have fully believed that the Russians tried to steal the election by changing votes on voting booths connected to the internet, the, the electronic voting booths. You know what, what else has come out of the, came out of the Jay Johnson hearing is that the FBI tried to get the Democrats to allow them to assist in the hacking situation, and the FBI, or the, the, the DNC wouldn't let them. The Democrats did not want the FBI anywhere near their computers, and, and now they're denying it. They're, they're, they're lying about it. Trey Gowdy today, uh, we, we, they had some hearings on this, and he was asking about the DNC hacks. I want you to listen to this bit of audio. I was really interested in what the Obama administration knew and when, and what efforts they took to thwart the Russians or to notify potential victims. You just played a clip where we had a victim, the DNC. And not only did they not cooperate with Jay Johnson, they didn't turn the server over to the FBI. So I think it's a little ironic to now criticize, as some Democrats are, Jay Johnson and Jim Comey and others for not doing enough in 2016 when you had a really good piece of evidence you didn't bother to turn over. That is an excellent point from Trey Gowdy. It is. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is spit mad about this as well, by the way. She says the FBI never did ask them for stuff, and the FBI's got the documentation that they did. I mean, oh, why didn't they do this if they were so concerned about the Russians? Remember, four years ago, they all ridiculed Mitt Romney for saying the Russians were our greatest geostrategic threat. And now they're they're all upset about the Russians stealing things, but they wouldn't cooperate with the FBI and Homeland Security. And here comes Jay Johnson, the secretary of the Department of, Hum- of, of Homeland Security for Barack Obama, and says, no, the Russians did not steal the election by changing votes on machines. Yes, the Russians did try to disrupt our election by uh, stirring the pot. But no, they did not steal the election by changing votes. And there are Democrats out there who believe they really did. And the Obama administration says no. And yet they continue. 
55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Some lightning starting to crop up in the storms out there around Ostel, Powder Springs, Dallas. Um, that's where I'm seeing lightning on the radar. Everywhere else, heavy rain. Johns Creek, you're about to get hit with some real heavy rain out there. Let's go to the phones, shall we? Ken, you're up first. Welcome. Hi there, Eric. I just have a quick question because I know we're coming up on the news. But when I was in college back in the 70s, I recall block grants under President Nixon. One thing that I know they're talking about are block grants if the current health care bill passes. And I wanted to ask you what you know. Are there either suggestions or strings attached to make sure that states do use the block grant money for the health care or are they allowed to do whatever they want? You have rich states and poor states, and so it's kind of an antsy situation. Right. So what do so, you know about Well, this? they do have a series of block grants they're giving out, and they're under designated categories. So they got a health care, a block grant for health care, a block grant for transportation, and they can innovate and experiment in health care with this money as best they can, but it's got to be spent in some way on health care. Just like the transportation money, they can use it for light rail, heavy rail, more interstates, tunnels, whatever, but it's got to be used for transportation. Now, All one right. of the problems they're running into right now is that under the present plan they they can only do certain things they can't do block grants under the present plan because it has to be passed under reconciliation in the senate which means they can scale back regulations and they can alter the tax structure on things uh, as long as they they don't add to the deficit and a block grant right now would add to the deficit so they can't do the block grant. They would like to do more block grants. The conservatives are pushing them to do more block grants. But given that they're under reconciliation in the Senate, this is how they can pass it without a filibuster. Um, they can't do that. Uh, so they'll consider it in later legislation. Now, when we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, the Democrats are look like they're trying to launch a coup against Nancy Pelosi. And the question is, are they even capable of running winning elections now? Do they know how to win an election without just luck? It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Welcome back. The phone number is 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Are the Democrats able to win elections? Uh, by the way, do, do you know what John Ossoff is now blaming on his loss? Money. <laughs> yeah, I know. I couldn't. I mean, talk about the 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 audacity of of it being a lightweight. Um, I mean, it, it, this is this is not a bright thing to say when you're the guy who spent thirty million dollars and lost to someone who only raised four million dollars. I mean, Ossoff himself raised over twenty million dollars total for his campaign. Karen Handel raised four million dollars total, and he lost to her. And he blames outside dark money, special interests. We need campaign finance reform. Really? <laughs> the guy has no shame. Oh, my goodness gracious.
Well, the Democrats in Washington still reeling from the fallout of the Ossoff loss. I mean, they're they're saying that they're they're worse off than Trump. You know, here's the thing. And and I know it, it, it makes some of you angry when I say it, and I don't mean to make you angry. I'm just trying to tell the truth. The polling does show, and I don't believe all the polling is wrong. The polling is rigged, whatever. The polling does show that there the president has is underwater in his favorable rating in the sixth congressional district. Uh, there are more people who disapprove than approve of him. I suggest that his favorability numbers will go up if the Republicans do some of the things that they haven't done. Um, oh, that reminds me, I got a story about the wall. Um, and, but that that's where it is right now. That's just the reality of it. But the president is not, contrary to what the Democrats believed, the president is not despised in the 6th Congressional District. He's not hated. He may not be cared for right now, but he's not hated. People may not approve of his job performance right now, but they don't despise him. He's not toxic. Nancy Pelosi is toxic. Nancy Pelosi is despised in the 6th Congressional District. And that was one of the many things that the Handel Camp and the outside groups hit John Ossoff with, is that they really are, the Democrats, the left-wing Democrats, Nancy Pelosi-led Democrats, really are despised. People in the 6th, the majority of the people in the 6th, they may not care for the president right now, but they don't hate him. But they do hate Nancy Pelosi. And the Democrats completely miscalculated on that fact. And now there are Democrats in Washington who want to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. Twelve of them had a private meeting earlier today trying to see what they can do to drum up support to Alice Pelosi as their leader before the midterm elections. They think that Pelosi will be an anchor on them because Republicans will run a, a left-wing Democrat uh, tied to Nancy Pelosi thing like they did with Ossoff. One of the things they don't realize is that looking at the numbers now, the way things turned out, I'm more and more convinced that the Democrats completely wasted their money on the 6th. And I don't mean, yes, he lost, obviously, but I mean they never would have won. They spent $30 million and only got 10% more than the guy who spent $1,000. Suggests to me that they overestimated their ability to persuade Republicans uh, to turn against Donald Trump in the 6th Congressional District. And I, I suspect in, in some cases they, they thought uh, people like me on the radio who weren't fans of the president last year that we would be encouraging it. No, Karen Handel's been a friend of mine for a decade. Of course I was supporting her. They completely were out of their element. And they did a terrible job of trying to persuade Republicans to vote for Ossoff and that they couldn't themselves do it. They wasted $30 million. And now, because the the 30-year-old lost, they want to throw the 78-year-old overboard. It's panic. They're, They're doing it out of panic. So can the Democrats win? Are they capable of winning? Other than flukes, listen, they're going to do okay next year. They are going to pick up some seats next year, and that is just by virtue of being the out-of-party power. The out-of-party, the out-of-party power, out-of-power party. The party that controls the White House typically sees losses in midterm elections. One of the very rare circumstances of that not happening was in 2002, and that had a lot to do with the war on terror, the the 9-11 attack. Uh, The Republicans were able to take back the Senate and pick up some House seats. Normally, though, the party out of power gains some seats. How many is the question? 
Democrats right now don't have a message. Now, I want to be real clear here with my thinking. I believe Democrats can run as a party of no and win. I remember back in 2010, I was at CNN, and everybody kept saying the Republicans have to run for something. And I said, no, they they run for stopping Barack Obama. They win. And everybody disagreed. No, they got to have a real platform. No, I don't think they do. And I think the Democrats are the same way. If they run with stopping Donald Trump's agenda, they will pick up some votes from people in the out of off your election. They just will because Democrats are more motivated than Republicans in the same way that in an off your election with a Democrat of the White House, Republicans would pick up votes by opposing that president. But will they pick up enough? I don't know that I, I'm sure they will, because I think Republicans now have the ability to nationalize this election in a way Democrats don't. See, the only way Democrats can nationalize the election, I think, right now, is to make it about impeaching the president. And if they make the 2018 race about impeaching the president, they're going to fire up a lot of Republicans. In fact, you're going to see Republicans such as myself, who in 2016 were skeptical of the president, not big fans. You're going to see us out knocking on doors, getting people out for the Republicans. I mean, if the Democrats run on impeaching the president of the United States, that is their campaign platform. Absolutely. I will knock on doors for the Republicans. I will do whatever I can. And many of you will as well. People who are skeptical of the president at least respect the Constitution and understand that, you know, just just saying you want to impeach the president because without any real reason, that's that's inexcusable of the Democrats to do. If they try to campaign on impeach the president, well, they're going to hurt themselves, I think. But Republicans can nationalize the election. And Democrats have given the Republicans what they need to nationalize the election by coming out and saying Republicans have blood on their hands, Republicans are going to kill people, having James Hodgkinson's try to do a mass assassination attempt against Republicans in Congress, having the Antifa movement people burning down local coffee shops and rioting in the streets, having college liberals chasing conservatives off campus. The Republicans have a real credible argument that if you vote Democrat, you are enabling and emboldening thuggish behavior from the left and that it's only going to embolden it more. And I think that's a pretty persuasive argument for independent voters looking at this stuff in horror, asking what's going on with the country when the Republicans can point to the left and say, none of us are doing this. It's all those guys. Kyle Wingfield from the AJC has put up uh, numbers. Y'all may need to sit down for this. Rodney Stukesbury against Tom Price didn't spend anything last year. I thought he spent about a thousand. Well, I, I say thousand dollars. He spent about a thousand on his qualifying fee, but he didn't spend any other campaign dollars. He got a thousand, uh, one hundred twenty-four thousand nine hundred seventeen votes. John Ossoff spent $23 million and got less votes, 124,893. Y'all, that's how bad John Ossoff did. That's how bad the Democrats did. They've lost now well over a thousand seats when you combine the legislative state legislature gubernatorial races federal races from congress and local municipal and county races the democrats are close to 2000 lost races since barack obama became president 
And I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, do they know how to win? I mean, Barack Obama knew. See, I think the Democrats made a fatal calculation with Barack Obama. They thought that Barack Obama's coalition was their coalition. And they didn't have to do anything. Well, Barack Obama's coalition turned out for him. The question is, is Donald Trump's coalition his or is it the Republicans? And see, that that's, that's the thing here is... Georgia 6 suggests that Donald Trump's coalition is the Republicans' coalition, while Barack Obama's coalition was only Barack Obama's, because Donald Trump's coalition turned out for Karen Handel, and then some. But Barack Obama's coalition never turned out for other Democrats. That's a, a real dividing line between these two situations. And when Barack Obama was on the ballot, Democrats had people go out and they would vote and they would find the D on the ballot and they would vote, although they wouldn't go all the way down the ballot. That's another problem Democrats have to work on is the ballot drop off. Republicans tend to stick around and vote the whole ballot. Democrats don't. But I don't know that they've improved that situation. Again, like I said, they'll pick up seats next year because they're the party out of power. But how many? They need 24. Can they get there? I mean, the 6th Congressional District of Georgia was the 24th best potential pickup for the Democrats, and they didn't pick it up. Hello there. 41 after the hour, Eric Erickson here on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. How do I do this? Uh, If you are north of the perimeter or you are east of the perimeter and north of I-20, really heavy rain right now. If you are to the west of the perimeter and above I-20, You've got rain, but it's kind of light. If you are south of I-20, you have major thunderstorms headed your way. If you're inside the perimeter, you don't have a lot of rain right now, but it's coming back. That should give you your good digest. I don't know how to do it. I mean, it's just there are some really heavy pockets of thunderstorms around Tucker, Snellville coming up. The radar just updated. Uh, Woodstock, Canton, Sandy Springs. You got some heavy rain coming in. Fayetteville is really about to get hit hard with a thunderstorm as is Beechtree City. Now, shall we move on? There is some legislation that uh, the state of Wisconsin is considering. It is already passed in Colorado, and the Democratic governor signed it. It comes from the Goldwater Institute, and I think this is something the Georgia legislature needs to look at. And I, I know there are members of the legislature who listen to this program, and let me throw this out there to you. Although this hasn't been a huge problem in Georgia, it, it has to some degree started to become a problem as this whole resistance movement tries to pick up steam. And this legislation says that if students, if any student disrupts a public speech because they disagree with the content or the speaker, that student can be suspended or should be suspended. And schools can have their funding cut if they don't do it. Now, this does not apply. The the legislation, contrary to the claims of some, it doesn't apply to student protests standing outside the room in which someone is speaking. It doesn't apply to protests that are on the sidewalk. It applies to in the room as a speaker is speaking, trying to disrupt the event. 
And it says if a speaker, do, if someone does this, they can first be warned. Second time, they're suspended. Third time, they're expelled. It is a defense of free speech on college campuses act. And given what's happening to college campuses around the country right now, given the the radical element that has surfaced on college campuses, they become seminaries of secularism. Uh, this this may very well be something we need to do. You know, later on, I, at, at some point, I interviewed Adam Carolla and I interviewed Dennis Prager. They're doing a thing. You can go to nosafespaces.com if you want to see it. Nosafespaces.com. They're producing a movie documenting the safe spaces on college campus and the reaction of, of campus radicals, student campus radicals. And it's just it's it's amazing what they encounter. You can see some of the video clips on that nosafespaces.com website. So I interviewed them about it. We're going to attach it to the podcast of the show here uh, at the beginning of next week. Um, it, you're going to want to listen to the points they make because this is becoming a real big problem. And this is good legislation our legislature should consider. Just so you know, Charlie tells me he's going to put these conversations I had with Prager and Adam Carolla on tonight's show. So if you want to get the podcast for sure, you can go to iTunes. Uh, search for the Eric Erickson show. You can go to the resurgent.com as well, or soundcloud.com slash EW Erickson. Get the podcast. My conversations with Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager. We'll put them on tonight. Uh, Reed Epstein from the wall street journal just tweeted this out that uh, in 2018, the Republicans plan to tie every Democrat to Pelosi. 90% of 7,500 GOP TV ads in Georgia's sixth race included the Pelosi attack. That's pretty impressive. 90% of the attacks against Ossoff mentioned Pelosi. See, the, the Democrats are so focused on people not liking the president they don't understand that Nancy Pelosi is toxic. You know, the other thing, President Trump is younger than any of the Democratic leaders. He's 70 years old and he's younger than any of the Democratic leaders in Congress other than Chuck Schumer. On the House side, you, you've got a you've got a, a geriatric ward. All of the chairman, all the or the, I, I shouldn't say chairman because they're the minority, but the ranking members of all the committees and the leadership, they're all over 70. I mean, the, these people are, are, are one trip and fall from a hip replacement and they, they, they don't relate. They're not woke as the kids these days might say, but of course the left doesn't care, but that's not the problem. It doesn't matter that the left doesn't care. What about the independent voters out there? What about them? Uh, how do you relate to them? That's a question. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the nation's most listened to news talk station. Right now, I've got joining me Adam Carolla, who is teaming up with Dennis Prager, who we'll hear from later uh, about their new project, No Safe Spaces. Uh, welcome to Atlanta, Adam. Thanks for having me. Sure. So this is Dennis and I've talked about this before and uh, several mutual friends. And it sounds like this is very, very needed. I'm seeing it. I even went to a conservative Baptist college where we're starting to see the social justice warriors run havoc on college campuses there. Yeah, I never went to college. So <laughs> I, just, I just sort of sit back and watch it. I, I thought college was supposed to be, you know, a good time. Uh I cannot believe how many miserable individuals we have on these college campuses. But this is something that 
Dennis and I have always talked about, and I don't think the timing could be better because it's literally like the second we decided to do this project together, it just seemed to explode. All the news stories about all the kids taking over all the buildings and getting teachers fired. And the, the scariest, uh, I, to me, there's a part of it that is insidious. And the insidious part of it isn't the kids. The kids are kids. They're, they're 18, 19-year-olds. And they're, by the way, they, they come from a horrible generation of entitled little, you know, sort of snot-nosed narcissists. I don't expect anything out of the kids. The thing that's scaring me is the faculty and the administration. The fact that, you know, these kids sort of take over the asylum and then, you know, there's a great episode of the Twilight Zone where the little kid is going to wish you out into the cornfield. And it's just this little nine-year-old snot-nosed brat and all the other adults are like sitting around and one adult is saying, you got to stop this kid. He's, 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 he's wishing you out into the cornfield and you turn into a jack in the box. And, you know, you basically, he's just going to wish you into ruining your life. And everyone else is walking around going, oh, no, it's a good thing. It's a real good thing right. you've done. No, Billy, it's a good thing. And that one adult's like getting drunk and going nuts, like somebody stop this kid. And he gets wished out in the cornfield. The point is, is there's a whole bunch of adults who don't want to get wished out into the cornfield. So when the one teacher stands up and says, hey, I'm not going to some two-day seminar on race. I'm going to stay here and teach my class. That, ki- that teacher gets wished out in the cornfield, and then all the other teachers just go cower. Right. It, it, this is the most bizarre thing to me about this entire movement now is you've got these these champions of the 60s and 70s free speech movement who are too scared to stand up to these these student bullies who they could expel them. Right. I, well, obviously, I mean, the one thing about this entire movement and all these movements is crazy irony. Right. And, and then sort of the inability to hear hear yourself. So like, you know, it, it's a, you know, let's never stop talking. I mean, the same group never stops talking about women's rights and pay inequality for women and, you know, uh, right to choose and, and, and everything else. So then when you start talking about what's going on with Muslims and Sharia and what they're doing to their women, in, in that case, they can't judge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, it is an irony that the group that never stops talking about free free speech it, it wants to suppress free speech, right. and I don't think they see that irony. So you know, you guys are turning this into a movie project, right? Yes. Now, when do y'all expect it to come out? Um, I don't know when the release date is. I would say probably early 2018. Right now. We've already shot at one college, which is uh, Cal State Northridge, out here in Los Angeles. And if you guys go to nosafespaces.com, you can see uh, snippets of Dennis and I on stage together. Little two-minute bite-sized morsels that I find really interesting and sort of... uh, I have a lot of humor. Dennis has a lot of wisdom. And we just make a very nice couple up there on stage. 
Well, we're gonna we so we started shooting at one one college, and we're gonna go continue shooting at other colleges. But we're also gonna. It's not a documentary. It's a it's a film, so it's gonna have segments in it and and recreations and a young Dennis and a young Adam and you know that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> so how, how you and Dennis seem like an unlikely pair to team up together for this. How did you guys connect on this? So, yeah, we are incredibly unlikely. I, and I, I would like, I would urge everyone listening to adopt this. I'm an uneducated Gentile atheist from the San Fernando Valley who basically speaks one language, never even took algebra in high school. And when I got out of high school, I just cleaned up garbage on construction sites, dug ditches, eventually got into earthquake rehab work and lived the bluest collar with the least travel and the least education and the least religion on the planet. But I would still listen on the radio to Dennis Prager, who was doing religion on the line and then doing his show. And I'd say, this guy who I have nothing in common with, I, I feel a kinship with this guy because he, 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 he likes wisdom. He likes knowledge. He's got great, you know, it made sense to me. I could hear his tales and his stories, even from the Bible and stuff, and I'd still, it all made sense to me. So I didn't think, well, this guy's not like me. I can't listen to him. I would think this guy's not like me in many respects, and then exactly like me in a bunch of ways that you can't put down on paper. But I want to hear what this guy has to say. I don't want to hear what people like me have to say. I have me for that. I don't want just a, an echo chamber. I, I want to hear new ideas. So I started listening to him, and I, I got a lot out of him. I didn't convert and become Jewish or find religion or God or anything else. I just listened to what he had to say. And at some point, of course, he had no idea who I was because I was under 50 and still alive. So Dennis, <laughs> he, doesn't, he, didn't, he doesn't know what the man show is or any, any of that crap. So I eventually figured it out and we we got put together by uh, Sean his engineer and we just became thick as thieves immediately and, and he was the same way with me which is he, he thought I was just some foul mouth atheist comic from Hollywood like, <laughs> why should he be spending any time with me but he quickly learned that I had my own type of wisdom and my own type of education certain but that was forged from blue collars in the streets versus academia. But he immediately appreciated what I brought, and we just decided to work together. So what's the reaction been on college campuses to you two together doing this? You haven't been run off with pitchforks yet. Not yet, but uh, the day is young, as they say. <laughs> um, we, you know, we went to Northridge. Cal State Northridge, which isn't exactly, you know, a hotbed of, you know, radical ideas. And we gave a speech that's, you know, we're not incendiary by any stretch of the imagination. We're, we're trying to get to the truth. And, you know, and Dennis does it in a way that's as agreeable as anybody could. He's not Milo Yiannopoulos. You know, he's not a provocateur. So, so far, it's been good, but I, I suspect it'll it'll heat up as 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 we travel the 
more liberal colleges and start changing the message a little bit. Now, you guys have an, an Indiegogo campaign to to finish off this film, right? Or are y'all doing crowdsource yeah. funding to get it done? Yeah. So yeah. it's nosafespaces.com redirects folks over there? You go to nosafespaces.com, it'll go to the Indiegogo site. It'll tell you all the stuff you can get on the Indiegogo site. And you can go to, uh, and you can watch all those uh, snippets we're talking about little bits and pieces from us and doing shows like I'm, I'm underselling them. They're really funny little two minute clips of up, us up on stage. Very well edited, very well shot. And take a look at that and you get a real good idea of where we're coming from. Well, I will do that. Listen, thanks very much for taking time out today to, to come. And uh, we'll be talking to Dennis later as well. And I'll make sure I, I get this up on my site as well as pushing it out on radios in hope people will go to nosafespaces.com and, and help finish this off. 12 days left on the fundraiser. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. I've got joining me now Dennis Prager, who with Adam Carolla, who we've heard from already. They're doing this project called No Safe Spaces. Dennis, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Eric. So what was the genesis of, of doing this? First of all, I got to tell you, I love the idea and I have seen the videos. Uh, and, but it, what really inspired you to start doing this? I have wanted for years to bring to the larger public an idea of what is happening at the universities, because as well-informed as you and I are, and I'm not going to even say, you know, presumably are, I know we are, We're, that's our business is to be well-informed. The average American is, you know, busy with life, with raising kids, with making a living with family issues. They don't know what's going on on our campuses, that our campuses have become the, the least open institutions in the United States of America. And what is happening there is literally frightening. I, I never exaggerate. It's, it's, I think it's one of the reasons I'm on for 35 years is that people know I don't, engage in hyperbole our universities are being destroyed and we're producing not only kids who very often loathe this country i mean kids on our campuses are now voting to remove the american flag from their campuses this is happening at campus after campus but also they're infantilized that's why it's called no safe spaces because of all these quote-unquote safe spaces that universities have created for kids to go to if they're troubled, or in their term, traumatized, by having on campus, which is pretty rare, a speaker from right of center as opposed to all their teachers left of center. So they get Play-Doh and they get uh, hot chocolate and they get to watch uh, frolicking puppy movies and the like, uh, which just says to them, don't grow up. So we, Adam and I, which is a pretty good team, because he is truly extraordinary and truly funny in the, in the, in the deepest sense of the word, because he sees life for what it is, uh, are going to make this movie. 
Well, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation because we're talking for those listening later, just a week after the shooting in Washington. And I've really been horrified to look at the reaction among student activists, in particular, this this Antifa group that sprung up around college campuses and uh, how upset they were that no one died from it. There's this brand of radicalism that I've never seen anything like it in this country before. And it seems like it's thriving on college campuses. It is. That is entirely accurate. Well, it's uh, uh, listen, uh, Ami Horowitz made a video easily seen on the internet. He went to Berkeley and he waved the ISIS flag for about a half hour in a major, you know, major part of the campus. Uh, one person said something. One. Wow. Uh, then he waved the Israeli flag and he got so much hatred. He had to put it down. <laughs> wow. Why do you think that is? Because the left has taken over our campuses. There's no, there's no riddle. There's no puzzle. The left, the university has been transformed into a left-wing seminary. Christian seminaries are there to produce committed Christians. Universities are there to produce committed leftists. Well, yeah, I'm in seminary right now, and I can relate to that analogy. But, you know, it does seem like to a degree that we're starting to see them in certain places and not broadly turn against themselves. It's like they're starting to consume themselves on some of these campuses like Evergreen University and whatnot. Good liberals being driven away by even more radical ones. The biblical phrase about Canaan uh, a land that consumes its own inhabitants is applicable to the left. It always happens. The further left you go, the more they consume one another. Stalin killed every single person who made the Bolshevik revolution with him. That's what happens. Uh, you get the, you get, for example, the, uh, you get, uh, uh, uh competing victim groups, uh, women's victim groups versus diversity victim groups. So the women's victim groups will speak out against female genital mutilation, but the diversity left-wing groups will, on the anti-Islamophobia groups will defend the right of, of uh, cultures to uh, mutilate the genitals of girls. So it, it's, it, it, it's, if you don't care about America and civilization, it's almost fun to watch. <laughs> but since I do care, it's it's uh, actually quite painful. I always thought that Tolkien captured this so well in the Lord of the Rings series, where the, the forces of Mordor were as barbaric to each other as they were to the good guys. It's just they, they were always fighting the good guys, so you rarely got to see the scenes of them savaging each other. But yet it was there the whole time. That is exactly right. You hit it. That, that's that's right. But we can't rely, those of us who love America's founding values can't rely on them eating each other up because they will eat us up before that happens. That is true. And, and that's, that's anyway, that's why we're making the film. And if people can help, because it's, it's being publicly funded because Hollywood isn't going to make this film, obviously. We have the Dinesh D'Souza producer on board and, and writers. This is a very, very high class thing. And people, I always say you got to fight. Good people have to fight. So 
If people are, are, are so inclined, please go to nosafespaces.com, see the trailer, and make a donation. Well, Dennis, thank you very much for taking uh, time out of your busy day to, to talk with me about this. And I'm excited for the project and hope it gets fully funded. You're a good man. It is an honor to be on your show. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. You too.